last week we kicked off this new series called Lyrics. And what we're doing is taking several weeks and walking through the book of Psalms uh, in the Bible, in the Old Testament. And if you don't know this or if you do, uh, many of the Psalms, most of the Psalms were actually written as songs or poems. And they were written kind of like that. And so we thought it'd be a good idea to take the lyrics of the song, dig uh, the, the lyrics of the Psalms, dig deeper into them and find out, hey, what was that person that wrote that psalm? What was going on in their life right then? And what, you know, what was the deeper meaning of this psalm? And, and in the midst of this series, we thought, you know what, if we're going to do that, it would be fun to kind of take some of our staff team and, and our leadership here at the bridge and share some songs that um, have meant something to us over the years. Because as we established last week, music moves people. It inspires us. It makes us happy. It makes us feel like dancing. It makes us sad. Uh, it takes us back to a particular moment uh, in our life. It kind of brings up those memories. Music has the power to do that. And so uh, last week I shared with you some songs uh, from my life. And yes, it's all downhill from here. Okay. Nobody's going to pick as good of songs as I did. And I apologize for that. I should have gone last. I know, but it's too late. Uh, so um, each week we're going to bring one of our team members up here and let them share with you. And I don't know whether to um, congratulate you or warn you, but today we're going to look at some of the songs from the life of one of our elders, Chris Patton. So Chris, come on up here. Yeah, y'all clap for him. Come on. Now look, that, that sounded half-hearted, like you're, you're worried about what he's going to play. And, and truth be told, I'm worried too. Uh, so uh, I'm just going to hand him the mic, and I'm going to stand over here and let him um, run the show here, okay? Is that safe? Good luck. And first, I got to apologize to the wife. I didn't let you know ahead of time that I was going to be up here. So, so yeah, um, I had a really hard time picking five songs. Uh, if anybody knows me, I'm very eclectic, um, whether it be rock, rap, classical rock, um, country. I do it all. I even listen to a little bit of Bach. Um, so the first song here um, that I have just takes me back to seventh grade, eighth grade. Uh, middle school, my best friend that lived right across the street from me, his mom always had this artist playing all the time. And so it just takes me back to my summers, staying at the pool in Texas and just listen to this artist. If anybody's from Texas, you know this guy. I'm, a, I'm actually, am I still on? I'm actually impressed with this one. Stevie Ray Vaughan, man. Yeah, heck yeah. Double trouble. So far, so good. No pride and joy. Keep going. I'll let you know if... Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, the next song, um, this might date my age a little bit. This one was the summer anthem the year I graduated high school. Now, what's ironic here is I saw this guy at the House of Blues in Dallas, and I was like, this band's going to be it. They're going to be it. They lasted about 15 minutes, which is funny. <laughs> because one of their albums is 1459 because they thought they've only burned up one second of their 15 minutes of fame. So here we go. You were doing so good. Well, I had to pick the songs without the E on them for edited. You want to spread your wings and fly, sweetie? 
No? Okay. All right. So my third song is near and dear to my heart. A uh, little background. I uh, started dating this girl. Yeah, I knew she was the one. Uh, we happened to be watching MTV at the exact same time. Uh, yes, MTV used to play music videos. Uh, and we we're sitting there talking on the phone because we lived an hour and a half away from each other. And I was like, man, that'd be a great couple song. And she was like, yeah, that'd be a good couple song too, blah, blah, blah. Long story short, two weeks later, we go on a trip to A&M to go hang out with some friends. And we get in my truck, we start driving down there, and she pops in a CD, flips it to that song. And I was like, does that mean we're a couple? So <laughs> here's that song. Do you want me to sing to you? I didn't pick the one song I sang to you when we were dating. A little All for One. Anybody remember that band? Oof. All right. How's that one? No? You're not R&B? That's love right there, man. Just keep going. That's love at its finest. Just keep going. I can't win with you. All right. So the next song. Um, so after we got our love song, uh, being 1920, uh, very immature, believe it or not, more so than I am now. Um, girls break up with guys and they go into press mode and they find a song that means so much to them during their depression that they just listen to it over and over and over again and hopefully don't, you know, end themselves. So here's that depression song, but a great band all in the same too. Once you get in this head, you're done. Been a while. Oh, still though? It's been a while since I could you're good. Hold my head up high. I'll make it awkward, you know me. We're a little too late for that. <laughs> What's your last song? Alright, so the last song, this one kinda is kinda cool because the back at one song that showed our love right there at the beginning. We have another song that also has one in the title that we got on our 10 year anniversary. Clarify, we, our... we meaning you and your wife. Yeah, me and my wife, not, yeah, okay. be the wife. Go ahead. Go ahead. We can't share a more song. Okay. okay, so we're out on a sunset boat tour, just her and I as couples, and they played this song, and I was like, one by one, come on, let's go. So. Little Jamaican flavor. Ladies. Hold you, I'm all over the map. So I just had you at the first one, and that's it. I lost you. Uh, we, we need to pray. Yes, that's fine. That's fine. Put me at number one. Thank you, Chris. Give it up for Chris Patton. And we really do need to pray, so let's pray. God, thank you for, for music. And for, not only for the music we hear today, but for these musical lyrics written thousands of years ago that still relate to our lives today. And God, as we dig into your word today, I pray, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts today. Nobody needs to hear what I have to say, God. We all need to hear from you, and that's our prayer. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, uh, if you have your Bible or your smartphone or whatever, you're going to follow along. We're going to be in Psalm 139 today. 
Uh, it'll also be on the screen, so don't worry about it if you uh, don't have it. Uh, one, psalm 139 is uh, a unique psalm because it's coming after David has been in battle. And so we need to keep in mind that he's tired, he's frustrated, he might be a little bitter. And what happens in the moment that we're going to look at, in fact, the entire uh, 139th Psalm is a pretty amazing picture of where David's heart was and he knew uh, who really gave him life. And, and there were people that were running after his life, trying to end his life. But in this moment, in this psalm, as David writes, he shows, he knows who's really in control and who's uh, really running things. And so instead of going off on God in this moment, which he does it a little bit, I think I told you last week, you know, a lot of David written psalms kind of go, you know, I love Jesus, you're the most awesome, my life is terrible, everything's bad, okay, God, you're awesome. And it kind of, you know, is a roller coaster. And he does that a little bit toward the end of this uh, chapter. But for the most part, what he does in the midst of battle, in the midst of stress and strife in his life, David prayers, prays a very dangerous prayer to God. And that's what we're going to look at. Starting in verse 23, this is what the Bible says. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. And so, so in, in this moment, as David comes out of battle, tired, frustrated, angry, still replaying some of the, the things that have happened in his life over and over again in his mind, he stops and says something really important but really dangerous and really difficult that we all need to follow in our lives, and it's these three words, search my heart. Now, that's not the only thing that, that David asked God to search, and we'll, we'll get to the others in a minute, but what I want to do first is zero in on that word search. And so look at it, look at that first part of this passage again. Search me, O God. Now, what, what you need to understand is at the beginning of this chapter, David points out the fact that God, you know everything. And if you have your Bible or smartphone, you can kind of scroll up and look at that. He says, you know when I sit down, when I stand up, when I'm awake, when I'm asleep. You, you know all things. So isn't it ironic that David at the end of this chapter would go back to God and say, search my heart, O God, because why would you need to search if you already know everything? What, 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 what need is there for you to uh, go deep and search my heart if you already know everything about my heart? And, and to answer that, we, we need to understand that word search in Psalm 129, the first part of verse 23, that word search in Hebrew, actually comes from a word that means to examine intently. To examine intently. And it's actually the same exact word that we get for when people search our belongings when we go through customs. So if you've ever traveled overseas for anything and you're re-entering uh, their country or coming back into America or whatever, uh, there are customs agents there and they are, they are there and they have the right, if they deem necessary, to search all of your baggage. And I don't know if this has ever happened to you. It's only happened once to me in, in, in my life, but I was coming back into the United States into uh, Hartsfield International Airport in Atlanta 
and I got caught in customs. And I don't know, I, I, I do remember this. This was in the era when leather jackets were cool for men again. You know, like Fonzie made them cool back, you know, happy days. And then there was this period where they weren't cool and then they kind of came back for a little bit. And, uh, and that made me feel awkward because if you're wearing one today, they're back again. Uh, and, and, and you're cool. Anyway, so, uh, sorry. Uh, like, I have the right to tell people what's cool to wear. Anyway, so, uh, so I, I think maybe with my bald head and leather jacket, maybe they thought I was a Russian terrorist or something, I don't know, but they picked me. And they pulled me aside in the Atlanta airport, and when I say they went through everything in my bags, everything. They dumped everything out on this giant silver table, and they went through everything. And it's, it's this uncomfortable feeling where you're like, you're, you're violating my privacy, and you're kind of like throwing everything out here for everybody to see, like including my undies, my toiletries, everything, right? Like everything's on the table. And that's what David was saying when he, when he said, search me. When you go through customs... Customs agents are searching your belongings, looking for something that will harm you or harm someone in the country that you're entering. That's why they're searching. They're looking for things that could be harmful. And and by the way, just a little time out here, David, when he says search me, David's not saying to God, hey God, search me and find all the awesome things about my heart, including, you know, kindness and honesty and self-control and don't forget humility, God. He's, He's not searching for the good things. It doesn't mean God doesn't care about the good things. He's pleased with the good things in your life. But also remember God's level of love for you doesn't change whether he finds good or bad in your heart. Jesus died on the cross to take care of all of that. And so there's nothing you can do. Please, if you don't hear anything else I say today, maybe God brought you here to say, hear this. There's nothing you can do in your life that will make God love you more. And there's nothing you can do in your life that will make God love you less. He loves you infinitely. Like, he loves you so much that he sent Jesus to die in your place and pay for the things in your life that are harmful. And so God's not searching just for the good stuff. He's searching for things that are going to keep you from being who he created you to be. You ever go to the doctor, and uh, I'm sure every single person in here has probably had this uh, event in their life. You go to the doctor, you're not feeling well, and he says, well, we probably should run some tests. That's the same word. They're examining intently inside your body, finding something that's making you sick. You follow what I'm saying? Now, don't miss this, because it would be silly if we put all these chairs out and set everything up today just to tell God to search our hearts for no reason. Because when you go to the doctor and he examines intently they run tests and they come back to you in the room and they say well you have meningitis nobody in this room is going to go oh that stinks okay thanks for telling me see you later we're going to go well what are we going to do to fix it like if I have if I have a disease or a sickness like you're going to help me fix it right David is asking God to search his heart for anything that is keeping him from being the man that God has called him to be so that we can do something about it. And I, it's just me, and I'm not, I'm not looking straight at you this morning or anything, but 
in 25 years of doing ministry, I feel like one of the mistakes we make a lot in church is we come in here and we, we hear things from God and we go, okay, thanks, good job, you went to church today, and we walk out and we, we don't do anything about it. Like it doesn't change us. And what's the point in getting up on a Sunday morning and coming here if what God's word says doesn't change you? Now, speaking of sickness, sickness in another psalm that David wrote he addresses what happens when we don't come clean and ask God to search our hearts psalm 32 starting in verse 3 says this look at this when I refuse to confess my sin open myself up and 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 tell you God what's going on in my heart it says when I refuse to confess my sin my body wasted away and I groaned all day long Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy upon me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me, and my guilt is gone. Listen, what David is saying here, and what we need to understand about our sin because sometimes uh, in church today, we're, we're afraid to call it what it is. Every bad choice, every bad thought, every bad action in our life is actually sin. And it's in opposition and rebellion to who God is. It's us saying, I don't trust you, so I'm going to do it my way. It's sin. And so here it is. Our sin, if we don't do anything about it, if we don't ask God to search our hearts like a customs agent or like a doctor running tests on our heart or our lungs, if, if we don't do anything about the sin in our lives, then our sin, David's saying this, not, not me, our sin will make us sick. It will literally take the life out of us. He says, my strength evaporated. I groaned all day long. But then he said, then I confessed my sin and and you forgave me, and my guilt was gone. And so don't miss this truth today. Look at this on the screen. Unconfessed sin will suck the life out of you. Confession brings freedom and healing. Just let that settle for a minute. If you, if you, even if you hear somebody saying, hey, this is wrong, or this way of living is not healthy, and you might even agree with it, But if you walk out of here and you don't take action to change that about your heart or about your life, then then my interpretation of Psalm 32 is that that sin that you do nothing about in your life, you don't change it, you, you might agree that it's bad, but you just live with it, eventually it will suck the life out of you. Now notice what David didn't say, and I'm not saying this either today. He didn't say confession is easy. The enemy is going to be in your ear every moment going, are, are you correct? Do not listen to that guy up there today. Do not confess your sin to God or to anybody else, certainly not anybody else, because if they find out that you're doing this, that they won't like you anymore. You might lose your job or whatever. That's all a tactic of the enemy to keep you sick so that you can't be who God's called you to be and experience the life that he's calling you to live out on this earth while you're here. God never intended, Jesus did not die on the cross for you and me to go through life sick. Doesn't make sense, does it? He he died on the cross so that you could have a brand new life and be free from all that stuff that you carried around. If Jesus opened his arms on the cross and died for all that and put sin to death forever, why in the world would you walk around living with it? 
It just doesn't make sense. Confession isn't easy, but neither is heart surgery. Both are necessary in healing. Maybe one of the dangerous prayers you need to pray today is God, search, deeply, intently examine my heart. And speaking of your heart, here are some things that God might find. Pride. So easy for us to, when we hear this kind of thing, to to impose it on other people in our lives, especially people we're not really happy with. Even when we're talking about pride, our pride goes, yeah, God, you better say that to them because they need to hear this. And, and we're talking about pride. Deceit. A lot of people go through their lives trying to convince themselves that, that they are good inside, right? When, when actually, you, you, know, you know, people that you meet or whatever, well, I have a good heart. Or they have a good heart. And actually, that's the opposite of what the Bible teaches. Jeremiah 17 says that the, heart is, the human heart is deceitful above all else. We, we deceive ourselves and, and, and we, we, we have this fake it till we make it mentality. When I was in high school, I, uh, I, I did not accept Christ and become a believer until I was in high school and I became a part of a youth group, a student ministry, like many of you may have experienced. And I was very involved, um, one of the leaders in my, in my youth group in, in my later high school years. And uh, I started dating this girl. And uh, we were at a, a youth event, kind of a getaway weekend retreat. And this girl's mom came up to me during the service one night and she said, uh, and I'm not, I'm not recommending this, by the way, okay, but she came up to me and said, you're a fake. You, you get up on stage and tell these other kids all this stuff, but I see how you treat my daughter, and I see how you act, and I, I watch you at football games on Friday night. You're, you're a fake, and, and that's the part I don't recommend, okay? Like, don't go around telling people you're a fake unless you want to get punched in the mouth. But, and, and I didn't punch her, but I wanted to, but I didn't. Um, and, and so, I, I, man, I was so angry when she said that. And I had this thought in my mind of, who in the heck does she think she is? I'm not fake. But the more I thought about it, and the more I prayed and said, God, would you, would you search my heart? She was right. I was fake. I, I, I was fake because I wanted people to like me. I was a chameleon. And I would change my actions, my attitude, my language, or whatever it was required to help me fit into the group that I was hanging around at that moment. And it sounds like a teenagery thing to do, but we're just as guilty as adults because we're still just as addicted to acceptance as we were when we were in junior high and high school. So maybe, maybe God will find deceit in your heart, deceit for yourself or you deceiving others. How about jealousy, insecurity, bitterness, anger, selfishness, judgment? The heart is full of unhealthy things. If you get uncomfortable in this moment as we list those things and you just kind of go, nope, 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 not going there today, that's your choice, but the sickness remains inside of you. And you can't get healthy until you get an examination and run tests. So, so whatever that is, right, fill in the blank for your life. Um, uh, 
we have to ask God to search our hearts. So moving along, let, let's look at the other thing that, that David says. He doesn't just say, God, search my heart. He says another thing, God, search my thoughts. And in particular, he says, my anxious thoughts. David's not just saying, hey, God, search my sweet, kind, lovable thoughts, the happy thoughts that I smile when I think them. That's not what he says. He says, God, search my anxious thoughts. We're talking about, again, the stuff that keeps us from being who God has called us to be and going where he has called us to go. And specifically this morning, I want to zero in on two thoughts that I think every person in here deals with, and it's this, worry and fear. It, it, it's interesting. I, I think the reason this is relevant today is because it seems like, and the only other word that I could fit in these three would be hatred, because there's a lot of thoughts of hatred in our world today. We don't have time to go there. But other than that, worry and fear seem to dominate our society. And we're even worried and fearful of the hate in our society. And these are, these, are, these are two things that dominate the news. They dominate our thought life, if you're anything like me. And, and they're, they're, they're things, again, that if they go unsearched or undetected, they will literally eat you from the inside out and leave you experience a life that is so much less than what God intended for you to experience here on earth. It, he never promised you perfect. I'm not saying that this morning. I'm not teaching that this morning. I am saying that in the midst of all the trial and all the strife and all the uncertainty, it is possible to walk through life on earth with peace and hope and genuine God-filled joy. You don't have to walk through being worried or stressful all the time. We barely touched on this last week, but I'll pose this question again. What are you afraid of? Finances? Relationships? Being alone? What are, what are, you, what are you afraid of? Failure? Losing your job? Losing a loved one? Losing your health? Maybe you're afraid of succeeding. Maybe you're afraid to trust other people. Are you afraid of staying stuck in your current marriage? Are you, are you afraid of getting married one day? Are you afraid of not getting married one day? These are the things that we fear and worry about. Just some, just a small list, right? Listen to this profound statement, and I didn't write it. That's why I can call it profound, okay? Like, when, when you see this, you're going to think, yeah, he probably didn't write that one, okay? So, but it's good, so get your cameras ready because this is a good one. What we fear the most reveals where we trust God the least. That one hit me hard this week. What we fear the most reveals where we trust God the least. Let's simplify it down. Where do you trust God the least? Because at that intersection of what you fear the most, you're going to find where you trust God the least. And, and listen, my, my battles in, the, in, in, in years past with anxiety and depression and fear and worry and all these kind of things, panic attacks, 
they're well documented. I've never hidden them and I never will because I want you to know me too. But listen to me. It is possible to learn how to live apart from all of that. It is possible to learn to trust God in such a way and on such a level that even though the waves get really high and the road gets really bumpy, you're good. Not because of your strength or, or how you can you know, pull up your bootstraps and make it through. Not because of that, but because the God who you serve. That's why it's okay in spite of those moments, right? Look at this. We must, and, and let me set this up, okay? So I mentioned this, this uh, scenario with, with this girl I dated's mom who told me I was fake, and, and I, I confess that. And, and I'm using this as an example because it's a common fear that all of us have in our lives, and it's this. What if they don't like me, or what if they leave me? And, and I, I know for a fact my fear of that comes from early age when my father left. I know where it comes from. It has a name now. And maybe you got to examine and have God search your anxious thoughts and go, why am I afraid of this? Give it a name and call it out. And, and so, so look at this on that level of pleasing others. It says, we must love pleasing God more than we fear letting other people down. Anybody relate? So, so that might lead to another kind of scary question in this. It's not on the screen, but listen to me today. Maybe you need to say in your heart and in your mind today, God, what do you want me to do in this situation? Because all of our situations are different. Maybe all of them have some worry and some fear, but all of us have different things that we're facing in our lives today. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's relation. Maybe, maybe it's uh, career-related. Not everybody knows your situation, but the answer is still the same, is to go to God and go, God, what's your answer for this circumstance? Like, like what do you want me to do? Because I, I feel confident to tell you this morning that what he's not going to say if you say, God, what are you, I'm facing this right now, God, what do you want me to do in this situation? I feel confident that the answer is not going to be worry or fear. He's going to say, trust me, I, I got this. None of this is taking me by surprise. What you're walking through is not too big for me. I'm, I'm God, and I love you so much that I sent Jesus to put to death all that worry and fear. And, and he died so that you don't have to carry this around anymore. And so maybe in the midst of that conversation, God says to you or me, so why are you carrying it? doesn't make sense. Finally, David prays a, a third thing in this passage that is dangerous. He says, lead me. Lead me. What, what a contradictory statement to how human beings feel. Because one of the first things we learn as little bitty children is our independence, right? You're not the boss of me. You can't tell me what to do. Just the thought of someone else being in control makes us 
in our lot in our home we call it shrivelly. I think we made up that word, but like it just makes us feel like our skin's itching and, and we, we feel trapped when someone else is in control. Look again at Psalm 139. We're just gonna read the whole thing, but look at the end. Search me, examine intently my heart, O God. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you. There's the unconfessed sin. And then he says, and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Don't miss this truth this morning. Trusting God to lead us and direct our paths says that we know his way is better. And if you've come to the Bridge Fellowship very long, you may think, man, he says that a lot. He asks, do you really believe God's way is better? He asks that so much. It's because I believe that is at the crux of the human condition and the human struggle. Do I really trust God that your way is better in every area of my life? Because if I do, why would I worry? No matter what the circumstance looks like right now, no matter what I'm having to walk through or wait on right now, it's all good because I trust you and I know your plan is good and I know that your plan is still intact and just because the road gets bumpy it doesn't mean that everything's going to fall apart and I have to take on all this worry and fear. I had a pastor, a mentor pastor of mine say this one time as it relates to how we should respond when uncertainty and difficult circumstances come to our life he says, obviously, our, our immediate response should be prayer. Again, remember back to that dangerous question, God, how do you see this situation? What do you want me to do here? He says this, praying says, I need you, God. Not praying says, I've got this, God, but out until I need you. Look at this on the screen. The danger in not trusting God is missing out on his blessings in our lives. Because think about what we trade, right? When, when we say to God, I got this, butt out until I tell you I need you. What we're saying is we'd rather carry worry and fear than experience some of the blessings that he has waiting for us if we'll just trust him with everything. Like, God, this is really hard or this is really scary, but I trust you. And, and if you walk his direction... Never promised you perfect, but there are blessings on the other side of that. But if we dig our heels in and we go, no, I've got this, then what we get in return is worry and fear. It doesn't seem like a difficult negotiation there, does it? It just makes sense to trust God. Now here's something you need to know about God as we kind of land the plane today. He's not going to force himself on you. Like, wouldn't it be easier sometimes if, if we kind of go, hey, you're God, just make me not worry and fear. Right? Doesn't that, like, like, let's just do it that way, God. Then there would be no faith and no choice involved. And actually, if there's no choice involved, then there's no love involved. And God loved us so much that he gave us the choice. He's not a dictator. He's a father and a friend and a rescuer. He's not going to force himself 
but he is an amazing God that has a good plan, listen to me, for your life, yours. Kind of goes back to the worry and fear thing. It seems like if we really believe that, that and trust that God's way is better in every area of our lives, we, we just wouldn't stress so much, right? We have stressors in every area of our lives. Let me give you some examples. We stress whether or not we'll get what we deserve and our life will turn out like we hoped. The answer there is life's not fair. Quit trying to make life fit into your box and just trust God's box. We stress over when other people hurt us. Here's the reality. People aren't nice. And other people in your life are hurting. And when they hurt, they're probably going to hurt you. It's just reality. We stress over whether other people will like us. And, and the reality that we all know probably by now is not everyone is going to like you. Get over it. Instead of obsessing over other people's opinion of you, focus on me, God says. After all, isn't my opinion of you the one that's most important of all? So don't obsess over what they think. Focus on what I think. Here's a little test to see if you're focusing on the stressors. And uh, yes, this um, may be a picture into my morning this morning. I'm not going to say whether it was or wasn't, but this might give you an idea of how my morning went. But here's a little test to see if you're focusing on the stressors in your life instead of focusing on God. If you've ever had someone uh, fail to put their blinker on when you're waiting to pull out, thus them inconveniencing you for three seconds and you passionately told them you're number one. <laughs> if you've ever had someone pull out in front of you in traffic and you zoom around them, cutting back into their lane as closely as possible to send them a message while telling them you're number one. If you've ever been in the store and had someone blocking the aisle that you wanted to walk down and in your heart you told them you're number one because actually telling them they were number one would be too noticeable in the store and might cause a physical altercation. If you've ever gotten to the checkout and the person in front of you has more items than should be allowed in that lane and you make a comment under your breath how it's not that hard to count to ten... If you've ever gotten home from that store when you went to pick up the thing you bought and then you get home and realize it's the wrong thing and you throw it across the room like your life is falling apart, if any of those have ever happened to you, including this morning, you might be too focused on the actual stressors. And yes, there are many more examples. But here's something to remember. If I focus on the things that can stress me, guess what I'll be? Stressed. Or I could completely change my focus and put it on the one who controls everything and loves me. Loves me so much that he put this amazing plan together for my life. Not perfect, but amazing. Purposeful. On purpose, he designed his life plan for you the way he designed it on purpose for you, for your good, so that you can have a hope and a future. 
But if we, in the midst of the turmoil and the strife, if we only focus on those things, or we white-knuckle it and say, leave me alone, I can do this by myself, we're going to get what we're going to get. And it's crazy that we, that we complain about being stressed. Band, you guys can come on. I'm, I'm going to close with this story, and then we're done. Did you guys happen to hear this week about the two people that set sail from Hawaii to Tahiti? And uh, they got lost, and, and their engines went down, and they, they actually were rescued five months later drifting at sea. And just let that settle for a minute, right? Like, the reason I don't go on cruises, I don't want to be stranded for three hours, okay? Let, like, if you tell me, hey, we've lost uh, power on the, on the boat, I'm like, this is not a cruise, this is hell, right? Like, everybody's going to get sick, everybody, you know, the bathrooms don't work, all, that's why I don't go on cruises. Can you imagine getting so lost that you, you drift at sea for five months? When I heard this story this week, I started digging a little deeper into, into navigating ships. And I don't know if you know this, you're probably smarter than me, but ship captains, when, when they're navigating storms, they have to focus on only two things. And I'm not making this up, I got this from the internet, which sounds weird, but, uh, but I trust it. It was the good part of the internet. Don't judge me. God needs to search your heart. So when, when captains are navigating storms, they have to focus on two things. Their current coordinates and their compass. Now don't, don't miss this. The reason they stay focused on their current coordinates and their compass is because if they take their eyes off of those instruments and start navigating by eyesight, they're going to get lost. They're going to drift off course and it's going to take them somewhere they never planned on being. Doesn't that sound like humans? The, the waters get choppy and we kind of push everybody away, including God, and go, quit, let me do this. And we start navigating by eyesight. We see this stressor and this thing that causes worry, and this thing that causes fear. And before you know it, we end up somewhere where there's a big pile of rubble surrounding our lives, and then we go, how did I get here? It's the last thing today. What you focus on determines your destination. And if you want your destination to be hope, peace, and joy, you better change your focus better start navigating by the compass not by your eyesight let's pray together as we bow our heads and close our eyes we're going to sing a, another song today that might be new to some of you and, and that's okay in fact it would probably be great if, if for this time as we close today you just let the band sing this over you song's about freedom and I picked this song this week because of how when we don't allow God to intently search our hearts and our thoughts and we don't allow him to lead us it locks us in a prison that we never planned for and so as the band leads us in this 
here are some questions to work through in your life. Your life. Not the person sitting next to you. Not your spouse. Ask these about you. Where does God need to search today? What has he found that I might need to do something about? Am I focusing on the right things? Where is God trying to lead me? And do I really trust that his way is better in every area of my life? Thank you, God, for the truth of your word. Thank you for caring enough that you want to search us and know us. You're not some impersonal being in heaven that doesn't care what's happening in our lives. You care. And so you want to know. And we know you know everything, but we need you to examine our hearts to pull out the things that are keeping us from being the people that you've called us to be so that we can do something about it. So that life change can happen. God, we confess, I confess for us today that you and you alone are the answers to the worries and fears in our lives. You are the answer to deceit, insecurity, bitterness, anger, selfishness, judgment, the things that hide deep in our heart that make us sick. You are the answer. God, speak to our heart today and remind us to turn to you for those answers. It's in Jesus' name we pray.